Emmy Bettis, Texas Poet Laureate 2020. This is a sonnet from a collection of poems called Gahas with Zero Tolerance. And it begins with a quote, quoting the former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, quote, they are the ones who broke the law. They are the ones who endangered their own children on their trek. The United States, on the other hand, goes to extraordinary lengths to protect them while the parents go through a short detention period, end quote. They are the ones who told their children were taken to bathe and not returned. They are the ones whose nursing babies and toddlers were forced to wean and left in wet diapers. And their other young ones also cried for mommy, for papa, for tia, for, and were told they were an orchestra without a conductor. And enough in this country elected the conductor with his fist in the air, without music, without ocean, without moon, without the very earth. He was the one, and she another, and he yet another, who said they'd be taking her child the next day and said, quote, Happy Mother's Day. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Thank you for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. This is Tony Diaz. We recorded the show remotely for broadcast on Tuesday, June 9th. We really appreciate your support. Today, we're treating you to two interviews with two Latina poet laureates. I'm glad I can even utter that phrase. They're going to share some of their work with us. Additionally, I want to point out that because we are broadcasting remotely, we cannot give an up-to-the-minute analysis about the slaying of George Floyd. However, I would also point out we've been doing the work to dismantle the structural discrimination that leads to such moments as this. Today, we are going to talk about how poetry and literature help dismantle the racial discrimination that leads to these sort of crises. At the top of the show, we'll talk to Emmy Perez, Texas Poet Laureate, and then in the second half of the program, we'll be talking with Angie Trudel Vasquez. They're both return guests, part of our familia, and we hope that you enjoy catching up with them and learning from their insights and art. I'd like to point out that we are done with Pledge Drive. We appreciate all of your support. However, we still need your help. I'm hoping that you can budget a membership to KPFT. And you can go to www.kpft.org and online make a pledge in support of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Of course, we have pledge goals on a quarterly basis, but we always love to bring new members to the fold because it shows that we're doing our part and we're bringing new listeners to this important cause. KPFT is turning 50 years old. We're happy to be a part of that legacy. We're happy to change the world with you. 
Want to thank folks for donating their cultural capital on a weekly basis. That's our crew. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the shows remotely. Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, Lauri Flores, Stefano Galassa, Al Castillo. I'm happy to join you every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. for Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having to Say here on KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston. Also on Tuesdays from 2 to 3 p.m., we bring you Latino politics and news. I also get to see you on the political talk show, What's Your Point, on Fox 26 Houston, Sundays at 7 a.m. This is Tony Diaz. Stay tuned for more cultura, poesia, and musica. This is Andrew Trudell Vasquez reading the poem Binaries. One, news callers at bond or table, smiles, looks at her brother drawing Batman and Robin, Good guys, bad guys. She smiles to say, look at me, look at us, I am coloring. Black curl-sized frozen juice cans jostle when her chubby arms scribble red and yellow. Her brother called her Chuck. Her real name is Raven, my younger sister's daughter. Before she was born, her dad dreamed her tall with good hair, strands more Mexican than Puerto Rican, straight and fine, black silk, her mother's long tresses. My nephew's hair shows his African roots like his father's, Henry and Raven, Hank and Chuck. Green eyes drool both their faces. We dine at Cafe Cormache. People who could be distant cousins scurry, bring pancakes, eggs, bacon, coffee, and sweets. We hear the origins of Chuck. Batman Frank Robin to save the day, called him his little Chuckamucka before he made him normal size. Justice prevailed in less than a half hour. My nephew loves bears to packers, bulls to bucks, policemen and firemen who saved the day. Once on the playground he shared on the monkey bars, he wanted to be a policeman. I said, we can talk about that later. He said, Grandma doesn't like me either. He knows he is six. Binary columns work for his brain right now. I think about his light afro, how many men with his hair textures spend birthdays behind bars, rock and holes, shake hands with a death penalty, swung from trees like strange fruit for entertainment. He will know this later. I push him on the swing, instruct him to go higher, pump your legs, keep your knees pressed together, lean back, use your core strength to the moon and back. Playground people stare and chuckle. I watch him finish color, Batman and Robin across the table. Black and white crayons melt in his caramel hands. Necesito nueva droga. Estas ya no me ayudan a encontrarme con Dios. Mi cuerpo tiene nostalgia. Si corro sudo, busco la fuente. No consigo hasta los cabos, pero los uno esquivando balas. El rencor, el aire y todo eso. Las cajeras van lentas. Yo prefiero las ganas. Piensa lo justo. Juega demasiado. Aprende a golpe, no tengas pasado, ni cuidado, ni futuro. Tu oro es ahora, esas pepitas caen del cielo. Siempre llegan tarde. Piénsalo justo. Juega demasiado. Aprende a golpe. No tengas pasado, ni cuidado, ni futuro. Tu oro es ahora, esas pepitas caen del cielo. Thanks for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having to Say. This is Tony Diaz. We are recording remotely for broadcast on Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. And we're very happy to welcome, through the magic of telephone, a dear friend of 
Mi, of Nuestra Palabra, of the Libre Traficantes, of La Causa, Texas Poet Laureate, I do, our friend Emmy Perez. ¿Cómo estás? Oh, thank you, Tony. I'm doing okay. You know, it's a hard time right now with all the pandemic happening and affecting our lives. And, of course, you know, I'm thinking about George Floyd and his loved ones in, in Houston. And I hope you're all taking care and doing well. No, by all means. And I think we really wanted to touch bases for all those reasons. I do want to remind our listeners that you are, in fact, the Texas Poet Laureate 2020 you're the author of With the River on Our Face and Solstice. Your work appears in other musics, New Latina Poetry, Ghost Fishing, and Echo Justice Poetry Anthology, What Saves Us, Poems of Empathy and Outrage in the Age of Truth, <laughs> and other publications. You're a recipient of Poet Laureate Fellowships with the Academy of American Poets and the NEA Poetry Fellowship. Canto Mundo Fellowship and the Alfredo Cisneros Del Moro Foundation Award. Since 2008, you've been a member with Mocondo Writers Workshop, we're fellow alums and familia. And the past 20 years, you've taught writing in the Texas Borderlands. 2017, you co founded Poets Against Walls, and you make sure that writing is taught throughout our communities. You also make Rasquatcha Productions poetry videos, and currently you're a professor in creative writing and associate director at the Center for Mexican American Studies at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and somehow you found time to chat with us, so that's good. <laughs> that means a lot. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and to be on the show, so thank you for inviting me. You know what, too? Before we get into talking about what your, your new role of Texas Poet Laureate will entail, you alluded a little bit about the times that we live in. And I want to remind our listeners that we are recording all of our shows ahead of time because we're still recording remotely because the station is still observing all the quarantining and the social distancing rules for COVID-19. So we want to talk about everything that's going on, including the slaying of George Floyd. So we just want to navigate it carefully only because what we say right now might not still be the case when this airs, but we have to address it. So, I mean, let me ask you this. We're all going to have to make a case that poetry matters, funding for art matters. Why do you think it's more vital than ever for our community to have access to poetry at this time, given COVID-19 issues as well as the the crisis that happened with the taking of George Floyd's life. Oh yeah, first I just want to say that it's also very heartbreaking, and I you know send my love to y'all in Houston, everybody in, in Minnesota, and Minneapolis. Um, I'm just heartbroken by uh, the death of George Floyd and the death of other um, Black lives in our communities. Um, all over this country, all over the world. And, you know, those hashtags, Black Lives Matter, Say Their Name, Sandra Bland Forever, are like little poems in and of themselves. And I want to say that, you know, embedded in those little hashtag poems are a lot of love and a lot of hope and a lot of deep meaning. And I just want to shout them from the rooftops in solidarity. And, um, yeah, poetry really matters. And so we have those hashtags. I see those hashtags with little poems. But I'm also, like, turning to the poetry of Jericho Brown, 
I'm turning to the poetry of Dennis Smith. I'm turning to Lucille Clifton's work, Gloria Antaldua, Gwendolyn Brooks, Langston Hughes. Um, you know, we have a lot of Afro-Latinx poets here in Texas whose work that I'm turning to during these times. And always, we have Jasmine Mendes there in Houston. I'm thinking of Ariana Brown's uh, cat book, Sana Sana, and her, like, amazing uh, poetry videos. Jasmine Mendes' book, Night Blooming Jasmine, Personal Essays and Poetry. And I love uh, Nancy Lorenza Green's work in El Paso. She doesn't have a book, but she has a CD. And you can Google her name and find her poetry online and, and just to hear the voices of Afro Chicanx, Afro Latinx uh, poets in our in our states, right? And then that kind of goes beyond our state as well. And I'm thinking of a lots of other poets that are on my mind right now. And they're always on my mind and I teach them and I love their work. Um, poetry matters because we have to bear witness to these times. We've had poets have bared witness to all of the times. Have have, you know, when we stay witness, it's not like we're always right there. But when we have uh, the news articles and we see the videos, you know, we're watching those hard truths about our country and about our world, and we're there to provide the feelings, to provide the. Um, you know, the emotion that we don't always get in a news article. And so I think that poetry has always mattered, and it especially matters right now because, you know, our young people are going through so much with this pandemic. They're suffering, and, and they might not even know how they feel. And so I always think it's important to reach out to the youth, share poems with them, let them write their own poems, provide opportunities for them to write, even if it's not poetry. Because sometimes we don't even know how we feel until we start writing. And then the writing helps us learn how we feel. And reading poetry helps us sort of release some of that tension that we don't really even have words for. And so we can turn to poets and say, oh, they have the words that I don't have. Or their words help me write my own words or help me think my own thoughts, help me feel my own feelings. So those are just a few <laughs> I could go on and on about that, but yes, poetry matters now. The arts matter now. They always matter. Let me know what you think of this. In my opinion, if you watch mainstream news, the, the information that's going on is being conveyed where it appears that the African-American community is suffering alone, but I think that there's always been a lot of solidarity between the Latinx community, the Chicana, Chicano community, and the black community. And you alluded to it. I think right now in this moment where this crisis has erupted, mainstream media wants to tell the story its way and doesn't want to dig in deeper and, and probably can't, doesn't have the capacity or the knowledge of, of ethnic history or culture or studies to do that. But I feel that we've always been connected. What do you think? Do you think that's the way the media and the mainstream outlets are conveying this narrative? And would you agree that we have been in solidarity, uh, blacks and browns, for a long time? Oh, yeah. I think that black and brown people have been in solidarity for a very long time. I mean, you know, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but we look back to, to those times and we see how uh, the Chicano movement was very much inspired by other civil rights movements and in solidarity with those movements. 
And, you know, I had the opportunity before he died to co-teach a class with Dr. Laviera, the Eureka poet here in the Valley. And so it was just like a really beautiful time for me to understand how our movements line up. And our movements have always lined up in that way. But that's not to say that there isn't anti-Black sentiment in the Latinx community. And that's something that I think that we, we need to address in certain segments, right? Not in not in the progressive movement, but in some segments. Um, you know, so I always turn to Gloria Anzaldúa's work. I love Gloria Anzaldúa. She was here from the Valley. And, you know, she talks about how we have to embrace the Anglo in us as well as the Black and, and the Indigenous, and to realize that so much of our histories are connected. In Mexico and Latin America, the United States, what is now the United States and Turtle Island in, in Las Americas, you know, we had this history that is shared. And so I think that, yes, the media does not show those movements in solidarity all the time, but I think it's up to uh, scholars and artists to show that solidarity. And, you know, even in my own work, I, when I'm writing a poem about immigrants being brutalized by border patrol in the borderlands, I am also thinking about Black Lives Matter movements. And here in the Valley, the group that I'm part of, the collective, Poets Against Walls, we, um, you know, hopefully um, graciously borrowed from the Black, Black uh, Lives Matter movement when we shared a poem two years ago, when an indigenous woman from Guatemala was murdered by border patrol near Laredo. And, you know, we shared this poem that used the hashtag say her name because we wanted everybody at the visual to say Claudia Patricia Gomez Gonzalez Presente, say her name. And so I do believe that these movements are very similar, although that's not to take away from, you know, the real pain and the real depth of suffering that the Black community has endured. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to say that it's exactly the same, because it's not exactly the same, but they, we are in solidarity with our movement, and there are a lot of intersections, unfortunately. Well, and, and I think that is part of the powerful work that poetry, art, and literature does, is it brings us to those intersections but as you mentioned, it's not that straightforward, it's not that simple, but it takes profound thinking, which is what we're about, and that's what we're after. On that note, it's it's wonderful that you bring that sensibility to your post as Texas Poet Laureate. Tell us a little bit about what that constitutes and what some of your vision is for the position now that you hold it in. Congrats! That's awesome! I know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so I, I asked the Texas Commission on the Arts. They're the ones who organize, you know, the whole thing and the whole process. I asked, what are my duties? And they said, well, you have no official duties. And so I interpret that to mean <laughs> that I can do whatever I want, which is great, right? Because there are no strings attached. They don't pay me any money or anything like that. And so I did receive this funding from the Academy of American Poets, which I'm really grateful for. Part of it, in my application, I said that I would like to give uh, creative writing workshops to youth and adults in the borderlands, the Texas borderlands, because I feel like not enough uh, workshops 
are available in our communities here. We don't have a lot of arts funding in the borderlands. I lived in El Paso and now here in the Valley for the past 20 years, six years in El Paso and, and now the rest of the time here in the Valley. And I've always kind of done this work, but so things have changed because of the pandemic. So things are going to have to be scaled down a little bit and online. Originally, I had hoped to go to El Paso for a week and do writing workshops with border senses for youth for one week, and then I had some other ideas planned. But I'm really glad that I'm still going to be able to do some of these workshops. I'm collaborating with La Union del Pueblo Entero, Lupe, here in the Valley. And so um, I and some other poets are going to be helping with their youth summer um, camp, and we're going to be giving workshops to them and to their, some of their parents and also to supporters of Lupe along the borderlands. So I'm really glad that this funding will also help the people who are helping me give these workshops. And I'm also, another part of that is I'm going to create a digital archive of Texas borderland poets. I'm going to mention Gloria Antaldua again because in her work, she talks about borderlands with the capital B and with the small b. Well, the small b means the borderlands, the actual physical borderlands, and the big b uh, represents the psychological borderlands. And so I have a list of people that I would love to record, and originally it would even like be bringing people back home to record in their home communities, but things have had to change now with the pandemic, and so we might have to do some Zoom recordings and get a little creative but I have so much respect and so much love for uh, Texas Borderland poets that I want it to be accessible to other people, especially to young people, so they can mm. see their elders and they love can it. see the people who are writing today in mm -hmm. multimedia format. And so that's a big part of my project. And I've been recording people, my Rasquatches production, for a while now. I don't have any money to do it, but I, I love it so much, and I don't care if it's, like, you know, perfect, <laughs> technically <laughs> perfect. Um, <laughs> so we, we got to do what we got to do, right, because we I want young people to know, and not only young, you know, the elderly as well, the adults to know um, these poets. And so I haven't reached out to them yet, but I'm about to and say, hey, would you like to be part of this project? I would love to record you. And let's do this thing so that we can create this website. That's powerful, too, because we started talking about how important art, poetry, literature is. Tell folks a little bit more about the million dollars that was awarded for these different projects. But also point out the need for this sort of funding where, where you live and in Texas, because in Houston... We don't have a multi-million dollar state-of-the-art arts facility. Now we have, of course, some legacy Latino nonprofits that have made it work for decades, but we don't have the funding that our community needs here in the fourth largest city in America. I imagine it's worse in other places. And we need to argue for more funding throughout the state throughout the year. So break that down a little bit. How much money was awarded across the country? How much money is coming to you as Poet Laureate for that? And what is the need like in Texas and especially in the Valley? Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree with you completely. We, we need more art funding for community-based art funding, not only for universities. 
And so um, the Academy of American Poets received this funding from the Mellon Foundation, and I believe it was over a million dollars. And this is going to poets laureate across the country. And I'm really excited that Rodney Gomez, who is from Brownsville, lives in McAllen now, and was my former student, but I don't take credit because he's brilliant on his own. He also received one of these fellowships because yeah. <laughs> right. he's currently a McAllen <laughs> Poet Laureate. So two people from Texas received this funding. Um, they told us that a portion of the funding um, goes into the community, and another portion goes uh, they really want to make sure that we don't burn out and that we also work on our own writing. So a portion of that, and I, I believe it's $50,000 um, each person. Well, that's how much I received. I'm assuming the others did as well. And so this funding is meant to help with our projects, and Rodney is also going to be offering workshops for youth here in McAllen. And so the thing is, is that we don't have, I mean, I know that Houston is like amazing. You all have like scrapped together, as you're saying, like these nonprofits, and I think that's beautiful and amazing. Here in the Valley, it's, you know, even worse. Like we don't really have very many arts organizations here in the Valley. And so I hope that we can build on this momentum you know, I have volunteered a lot of my time to, to doing little things over the years and worked with incarcerated youth and, you know, things that I really believe in and that I love, but I can't keep it up because I have, you know, I also have a full-time job and I have to rest um, and I have small children. But with, like, Rodney's, I really hope that other, um, you know, that we can find more funding to keep these things going because we need that the youth are hungry for this. Uh, we don't have hardly any arts funding. The only things happening in the arts are very, like, short-term. There, there are lots of things happening, but, you know, people fund themselves or short-term. Um, so, yeah, if anybody, if you know anybody who wants to donate money to the Valley, <laughs> I can use them too, right? I mean, everywhere. We need this. We need more consistent funding. We just were fortunate to get this funding for this year. And so, yeah. I hear you. This is an ongoing struggle. I have served on the Texas Commission of the Arts as a judge for nonprofits. And, you know, most of the funding of that year, um, the most of the applicants are from the big cities. And so the money, I'm so glad that funding is getting to some places, but um, not the borderlands, not that year. And what can we do? We, we need I, I'm borrowing from my friend Veronica Sandoval who said we need some homies to help us write grants <laughs> and stuff. You know, those are her words. Lady Mariposa, she's a great poet from the Valley. She's like, we need some homies <laughs> to write grants. And <laughs> so, yeah. Well, no, and that's key because I think we can give all the cultural capital that we can and, and we, you know, we want to keep giving. However, like you pointed out, we get tired. That takes time away from writing which is also an important part of our community's cultural capital, the actual written word. And I think the other thing that I've learned from doing Nuestra Palabra these 22 years, if there's not that infrastructure, it can easily either evaporate or go away. So we're so glad that you're pushing it. And I want our listeners to understand that the only reason you are able to take that funding and invest it back into our community's cultural capital is because you're the Texas Port Laureate. If it's someone else... That money would have gone a different way, or they might not have applied. So that's that's kind of important yeah. for people to to keep in mind. And 
we got to treat you like a poet. Let, let's close with you sharing some more of your poetry because that happens to all of us. <laughs> and that's why I love Mokondo because that's when we all convene. <laughs> you got to be in the social justice and a culture worker to be there. But at that time, you're treated and you act like a writer. So let's treat you like a writer, Emmy. <laughs> Close us out with some, with some work and uh, tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So I have a long poem in my collection called uh, My Collection with the River on Our Face, which I wrote before this president. Um, and it's called Rio Grande Bravo. And I'm going to share the end of it. There are sections that talk about, you know, Border Patrol killing of, of a young man. Um, there's also, like, reference to the killing of Anastasia Hernandez, Rojas, near San Diego, where he was asking them, pleading, you know, por favor, señores, ayúdenme. And that's part of the poem, too. I'm not going to read that part. I'm going to read the end because it is about um, how the border wall was built in this community before this president and that, you know, it's not only during the presidency that we are concerned about these matters. And because I've been talking a lot about Gloria Anzaldúa, I love Gloria Anzaldúa, I reference her and I make some allusions to her work um, here in this section. We cannot tattoo roses on the wall. Can't tattoo Gloria Anzaldúa's roses on the wall. Roses grow in the earth of white-winged doves. The doves coo all day with roosters at Valle de la Paz Cemetery, the Panteon in Hardil, near La Salle de Rey, where deer snort warning from the monte warn visitors because the freshwater puddles near the saline lake are shared and deer prints outnumber all others, wedge prints filled with salt. And when the sun beats down on the washed-up body of a crystallized frog, I remember Prietita having to kill and bury her fawn before the game warden arrives and incarcerates her body. And I remember a gardener tending flowers was thrown by a car carelessly backing up fast in the McAllen Strip Mall parking lot. The gardener forced a dizzy smile, spoke only Spanish when he finally stood up. He didn't want to call attention to his presence on this earth, this strip mall earth. And so the driver zoomed off. And I remember the parakeets eating bottle brush seeds in spring. They're huddling in fall on urban electric wires. I remember buying bacarones on a spring corner after my own accident. I remember Brownsville's red-faced parrots, the ancient tortoise at Laguna Atascosa, hundred-year-old stable palms uprooted for the wall's concrete footing. And I remember the confluence of river in Gulf at Boca Chica and the fisherwomen, men, and children across at Playa Valdad, Matamoros. I remember wanting to plant and water roses, como las palabras de gloria, como la gente del valle, como mexicanos in the borderland. And when I wake up in the morning feeling love, and when I wake up in the morning with love, and when I wake up in the morning and feel love, and when I wake up in the morning, already loving how the body works to help us feel it. That is the poetry of Emmy Bettis, Texas Poet Laureate 2020. Thank you for changing the world. Thank you so much, Tony. I really enjoyed talking to you. Take care. Shout out to you all in Houston. Good night.
take care of yourselves and uh, keep doing this important work that you do. It's so important. I'm very impressed that you have kept it up all of these years. And it's amazing and important work. Thank you for uplifting our community. Gracias. This is Angie Trudeau Vasquez, Dark Knight. My husband of dark night and white meat, I've closed the drapes and turn off the lights. My husband of ocean back and forehead continent, of bright sky eyes and cavern dimples. My man of sideways talking, soft shoe grooving, liquid arms, elbows waving. Of basketball dreams and close calls, of farm fields for milking, haze teeth silos, of brooks that meander, dogs that follow orders, of harvest the grain, seed the cows, water horses, prairie streams, of peeled woods and sculpted weeds, of roads that cut and spill molasses, of prayers on barstools, pews for others, of deer hunting and butchering bothers, of take the land wrestles from another of planned extermination and cleansing, of beat the child, spoil the mother, the woman, the house, enslave the men, of sorry, we are doing it again. This is inherited grief, blood on concrete. We are recording remotely for broadcast on Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. And we're really happy to welcome back to our airwaves someone who's familia. Her name is Angie Trudel Vasquez. And I want to remind our listeners that she is a second-generation Mexican-American, third-generation Iowan. She holds a Master of Fine Arts and Poetry from the Institute of American Indian Arts. Her work has been published in Dow Journal of Poetry, Yellow Medicine Review, 
Raven Chronicles, The Rumpus, Cloud Throat, and the South Florida Poetry Journal. Her third collection of poetry, In Light, Always Light, was released by Finishing Line Press in May 2019. She serves on the Wisconsin State Poet Laureate Commission and lives in Madison, Wisconsin. On January 20th, 2020, we're so happy she became Madison's newest Poet Laureate and the first Latina to hold the position. Congratulations and welcome back to Nuestra Palabra. We miss you, Angie. Hello, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. To be here at this moment in time as the first Latina, um, as a Poet Laureate, it's it's my time. It's our time. Thank you for having me. Well, and you know what? I mean, I think it's perfect timing, but I want people to realize that perfect timing happens when we're all prepared, have been working hard, working on those poems individually. Because let me ask you this. Were there's a moment where you were working on a poem, having a hard time, and you weren't Poet Laureate, and maybe you weren't published, did you imagine that you'd wind up talking nationally as first Latina Poet Laureate of your state? This was my dream come true. I watched people do this, and I thought, Tony, I can do this. I've watched it being done. You know, some poets are better than others in a poetry ambassador role. But I bring all my literary ancestors here, and all my other ancestors, too, and you know, this is my dream come true. And I made a really strong case. I had a professor who said, all writing is persuasive in nature. I made a really strong case, and they took it. So now I've, now I've got to do it. And, and I'm doing it in the pandemic, and I'm still doing it. And tonight I will announce a big initiative. Um, beginning in June, I'll start offering free poetry workshops. I'm looking for the next Madison Youth Poet Laureate, someone to work beside me that I'll mentor that'll help with their writing, and I'm looking for someone who has done public service, who has that in their bones, who has social justice at their heart. That's what I'm planning to announce later today. That's exciting. So we have an exclusive. All right. <laughs> we beat everyone to the punch, which is wonderful. But, but <laughs> I love the criteria that you're looking mm -hmm. for, which is vital, mm -hmm. because then you're planting those leaders into our youth I want to then bring it up to the pandemic and also yeah. the slain of George Floyd because yeah. what I worry about is that once we're into the recovery portion of the COVID-19 pandemic and once that we've moved further along in prosecuting the police officers and addressing some of the issues that led to the George Floyd slains, people might be prone to think or say that poetry, writing, and art don't matter, but we mm -hmm. know it does. Tell mm -hmm. us, and again, we're kind of trapped because this is being recorded remotely, so we can't really give real-time analysis, but I feel that we've been addressing the structural issues that are at play here for a long time. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Oh, I definitely think poetry and the arts and literature, I mean, even you know, you look at movies and video games, they start with the written word. Um, we need our stories. We need to tell our stories. When I work with young people and when I even work with older people, I, I find it really, really important for them to, to examine how they feel. And as a writer, I, know, I don't always know what I feel until I write it down. It's kind of lingering out there. But I want people to feel pride in who they are and where they came from. And, you know, we don't all grow up rich, and we don't all grow up middle class, and some of us have worked really hard, or our ancestors have worked really hard. 
so that we have opportunities. But I think poetry can bridge things in ways that other art forms can't. Like, we can all dance together, but when you ask someone to listen to a poem or you read a poem, you're asking them to concentrate right then and there to focus and to feel what you're reading and, and you're trying to convey something. And I only want to connect, but I want people to feel pride in who they are. And, and that's one of my goals is building self-esteem with young people and having an idea of who, who you are and where you come from. And writing an identity poem every few years, even as an older poet who's been doing this a long time, I think is really important. Um, and I want people to take pride in their heritage. And I think poetry can do that, and it can tell stories, and it can bridge distances, and it can heal these rifts. And I know when I'm out there sometimes, and I might be in front of an audience with no idea that there's one Latinas in the Midwest, or two that we've been here for generations. That's my opportunity to weave in a narrative and to give them a different view of someone that they probably never met before. So I, I think we can really heal and, and seek to connect with art. I don't want people to take this lightly either, and I want them mm -hmm. to understand how that just that facet fits into systematic oppression of our communities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be because we, as advocates for... Mexican-American studies and ethnic studies, we've spoken to Arizona politicians uh -huh. that said it is, and also, let's get it straight, we've spoken to Arizona politicians, uh -huh. we've spoken to Texas officials who have said it is not the job of schools to to create pride in individuals. Oh, yeah. When I think about, like, I know the struggle. You know, the SB 1070 came, and they were trying to get rid of ethnic studies, and students were doing so well in that because they found themselves. Um, I, I completely disagree. I think, you know, arts and poetry, it is important as anything. It's important as physical ed or mathematics or, you know, science. It's right up there. It expands us as humans. It, you know, humanities expand us, and when you have an opportunity to understand someone who's completely different from you, you're making connections. And I think poetry and art can do that. And the history, I remember them not wanting to tell the real history, that it was foment unrest. I remember this stuff. And, you know, if we were to tell the real history in this country, we have a very different country. If people understood that how they got here is as assembled of white privilege, and taking over land and genocide and stealing from people that were here originally. You know, I'm on Ho Chunk land right now, but this land was populated like thousands and thousands of years. And the people that I brought over and enslaved built this land and all this labor that went into building our institutions, like the Library of Congress. I just, it blows my mind that we're not teaching more history and that, that it should be a part of art. And you can teach history through art and through movies and through literature. I think of Grapes of Wrath. I think of, you know, all sorts of books that um, really shed light on who we are in this country, which is a really new country. And how do you get to do some of that work in your new post as Poet Laureate? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So one of the things I did is in my one of my very first readings is I kind of did a, a history of how I came to be a poet. And I... I kind of went into the history of my family, and I showed pictures of railroad workers from the late 1800s showing folks that we were here, here's our family, 
yet we're not on the census. Then I would do a poem that reflected my family's history because I listened at the kitchen table and I talked to my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and I knew these stories. I could bring them out. People people forget if you don't remind them. You know, how many people know how well how how well do they know their great grandfather, you know? Unless there's something left over for him that he left in writings, they may not know. They may not know the sacrifices. You know, and people do that 23 and me because people do have a desire to know their history. So I just feel like we need to put more emphasis on on reading and writing and history and understanding how we came to be and how we fit with the world. There's a long history that uh, there's people forget. You know, the Mexican lynchings, there were, there were a lot of them. It wasn't just African-Americans. And that, that's something that's lost. I mean, Dakota 38, when Abraham Lincoln, you know, um, had all those folks hung or hanged. That, that's, that's a terrible part of our history, but that is also our history. It, it's fascinating that you brought up 23andMe because it's been commodified. So this desire to know about ourselves has been yeah. turned into this business that is not as profound as the exercise you mentioned as someone every now and then writing a testament about who they are at that time or one of our ancestors or relatives leaving that legacy behind you know it's wonderful then that you can bring that back into the households of of folks in our communities and get them to embrace themselves and then share that legacy yeah and tell their stories you know what are their stories and you know they they i think they'll find that there's a lot more struggles that they didn't realize you know the last time we had a pandemic was about 100 years ago and I don't know about your grandparents, but my grandparents lived through the Depression, and it marked them, forever marked them, you know, and it just became a, a thing. Well, they lived through the Depression, which explains so much. And for us now, they'll say, well, they lived through the pandemic, or they lived through the riots as a result of the killing of George Floyd. Like, these things will be cemented in our memory. Um, I hope. I hope they are. I hope we do not forget. Well, and that's what's at stake. That's a great point. It's It's our cultural memory that we have to contribute to. Now, tell us a yeah. little bit about what, what you do in your role as Wisconsin State Port Laureate Commission member because oh, I sure. love that you're bringing that sensibility to that body. Um, yeah. How does that manifest itself? Well, I am I'm a good networker, Tony. And when <laughs> I moved here to Wisconsin <laughs> I'm a good networker. And when I moved here to Wisconsin, I, I got into the scene, the poetry scene, the activist scene, and I carried this work from Seattle with me and from Iowa with me. And and I started to get to know people. And I showed up and I published a couple things and I gathered people for readings. And I became active as a board member for Woodland Pattern Book Center. And so when I'm in finishing up my MFA, one of the former Wisconsin Poet Laureates said, I have something special for you. And I was like, okay. And it was a, it was a seat at this table. And I am the only Latina on the table. Um, it's really important for me to make sure that the Wisconsin Poet Laureate is someone who can go into the urban areas and the rural areas and be an ambassador for poetry and make it real for people, just as easy as it is for us to breathe. Reading poetry and being immersed in the art should also be there. It's all around us. If you look, art is everywhere, even in nature. This beauty that we have, that we can evoke, that we can write, that we can share, it's right there, just right under the surface, and everybody has it. Even if they think they can't write, they've got a poem in them. They are a poem. 
So I was really looking for someone who could talk to the people and make it not scary, you know. Those people think, oh, poetry, I don't understand it. Well, I think you can. I think your heart might understand it. And there's poems that are better than others for people to access, you know, access. But I feel very, very fortunate to be in this role and to have this power and to um, ensure that the poet laureates for the state of Wisconsin are people that uh, will connect with wherever they go. And we are so fortunate to have Margaret Rosga, who marched as a younger person and as an older person and who's a professor, but a long life, she has a long life of social justice activism. And uh, and that's, that's, you know, besides the poetry, she has that component as well. She understands people. I, I think our listeners each take something else from every episode and from everyone that we talk to, but what I love is you've given a roadmap to some of the steps it takes to get to that point, but also why it's so important. You mentioned MFA, you mentioned volunteering, Mm -hmm. you mentioned actually creating some of these courses as well. I think all those steps add up to where right now you have this influence to shape so many voices, and what I really appreciate about you is you not only don't take it lightly, but you're also building a deeper bench for your community. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something earlier about, you know, it doesn't just come to you. You work at this. You work at your craft. You work at your art. And sometimes opportunity and luck intervene, and boom, you're in a position that you only dreamed about. And that's how I feel right now. Because all the hard work I've done has led me to this point, and I don't take it lightly. I'm very serious about it, and I think about how to heal people now through poetry and art as we're in this tumultuous time. And, you know, that is, I want to be the poet for everybody here. So, you know, there may be things that I have to maybe swallow a little bit. I'm not going to meet everyone who agrees with me politically, but I want to connect with them on a human level and find what we have in common, and that's where I want to connect them. So what are you working on right now, as far as your writing Yeah, goes? yeah. How is, how's my writing going? Yes, and what are some of the projects that you're working on for, for your own writing? Oh, sure. Well, my own poetry life is full. Um, I've been doing these poems during the pandemic. I call Dispatch from Radar Hill. And I walk to this park, and I look at the park, and I write poems for the people. And I have about 20 of those now, I've realized, because um, it's just it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, to write dispatches from this time. Like, there may be people 300 years from now that would stumble on it, and I would hope that we give them a good time. So those, that's going to be a separate collection. Um, I've got my book out right now, uh, the full book, at another publisher. I'm hoping they'll take it. If not, I've got two more lined up. And I'm working on um, a collection now, which is kind of a history of humans and us and how we got here at this point. So reading, reading science and uh, anytime there's a new... Uh, in, you know, discover, I hate to say the word discovery, but every time there's a new um, finding or something on people, animals, um, how we used to live, you know, years and years ago, I'm on it. So I see it weaving in my work. I see it at the end of this collection. It's something that's been fomenting for a while. So I'm working on those poems right now, and later I'll read one of those that comes from that series. I'm also editing a collection with the Wisconsin Poet Laureate, and we're getting really close to that, and I'll, I'll release that through Art Night Books, and I'll raise money for the Wisconsin Poet Laureate Commission. But we are curating poems by poet laureates past and present, 
in the state and the city, and people who are really active in the poetry scene. People who may not have a title yet, but are definitely very active community members in the in the art world. So it's been really great. We're getting close to that, and we'll announce it later. So those are the things I'm doing. Um, I'm reading. I've got a lot of reading going on. I've currently been reading Jennifer Forrester's collection, um, which is just breathtakingly beautiful and, and not easy to get through. And there's a lot to study. You remember being an MFA student, pondering every line and every word and every comma. So I'm having a really great time uh, reading Bright Raft After Weather by Jennifer Elise Forrester. Uh, so it, the work continues. It's something I enjoy. So I never think of your homework. It's just my work. That's awesome. And you cover a lot of ground. What a broad, expansive imagination and intelligence. That's so cool. Well, well, well share some poems with us, please. Fire up some folks yeah. out here in Houston, Texas, and for your friends around the country. Get us going. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read a poem that's called What's in That? And it's from my collection on how we become human. There's a lot of music here. What in that by Andrew Trudeau Vasquez. What woman picked the corn, split the husk, and molded the seed that fed the people and opened the world? What being climbed down the tree made the savanna a refuge? Who caught the strike that lit the bush that started the spark, that became the flame that lit the hearth and traveled village to village, hollowed horn of smoldering smoke that started the fire that cooked the kill, that fed the self to grow so big? What worker burst the child, cut the cord, swaddled it, and kept on going down her row? What mother walked thousands of miles with two hands held in those smaller than her own? What father carried his child over mountaintops, swam through rivers, crossed rivers and lakes with one arm? What prisoner pierced the lock, walked out into the sunshine? What grandparent left her daughter sleep while the child rose? bathed its skin in rose water and lavender, sang songs of ones and twos until it could rock O's and O's among bubbles. What woman takes the corn, split the husk, and stilled the seed that fed the people and opened our world? And then this other poem I'm going to read is, sometimes poems are prophetic. This is a prophetic poem. It speaks to our time. It's called Morning Ends with a Call. We lost those paper boys that summer. Safety floods dashed. No bottom of the well to cradle you for the rescue. They vanished. Before, it was just us girls. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, clinging to empty hands. At the bus stop before school, a slow car invoked the mad pelt toward neighbor bushes, a blue spruce, a sensor swim flat protection. The hand organed hounds the glass with his black and white keys. I drink coffee on my deck while the world burns below. Metallic beetles clamp geranium leaves, species from another planet, fugitives in disguise, scarlet head eyes. Little guy next door cannot speak. Mother chain smokes hatching, shares her cigarette, fingertips to lips, wrist handout, pregnant together remote. There is sound in silence, she thinks. Now marigold is the color of hope, and she trusts in dandelion sunflowers, the sun past rising, butter is salty to ever taste, banana pudding. I dessert most meals equipped with steak knife, brilliant, knife and fork divine kid bites. 
to turn the channel of this planet of dear. Silent days, garden prayers, us as little girls, who knew we had it easy? Now Zero is my season of color, snap dragons, gold cars, summer shoulders slipped by a concert, fall to the ground. Two wheels, crisp asphalt, cheaper sail on the street, pink neon streamers surrender, birds spiral in their hair. Rabbit squirrels haunt the bird feeder, duck yoga, oak branches overhead. A crow calls, splits the green obsidian. Beautiful. That has been the poetry of Angie Trudel Vasquez. Thank you so much for calling in and thank you for always being true to the community. Thank you so much, Tony. It's my pleasure to be here. Companies will match gifts made to nonprofit organizations. A matching gift from your company will help KPFT preserve independent music, arts, news, and views for generations to enjoy. Just make a gift to KPFT this hour at kpft.org. Then contact your human resources office for eligibility requirements and to obtain a matching gift form. Many companies match the gifts of retirees, spouses, and surviving spouses too. Just fill out the employee portion of the form completely and send the form to KPFT. Attention matching gifts, 419 Lovett Boulevard, Houston, Texas, 77006. Your gift to KPFT could double if your company has a matching gift program. Your help makes a difference. This is 90.1 KPFT, Houston. 
Want to help KPFT but can't make the drive out to the little house on Lovett Boulevard? A great way to aid KPFT is as simple as logging into Facebook and Twitter. Connect with KPFT via social media. It's simple. Just visit twitter.com forward slash KPFT and facebook.com forward slash KPFT Houston. Then share our links and donate form with your social circles on Twitter and Facebook. Chances are you 